You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to 32 Fans. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienerker. Uh, Wheels, I'm really excited for part two of our movie podcast uh, with our guest, Av, who's uh, back for another go as well. So welcome back, Av. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm really excited. We're going to talk about the top 12 movies today. And uh, I got to say that I have some some strong opinions about a lot of these movies. And, and spoiler alert, they are not the opinions that people probably think that I'm going to have about some of these movies. So... Oh wow, that's a great uh, tat. You know, it's really like a, everyone's going to listen now. Plot twist, they or are they? No idea what you just said. Well, uh, we'll have to find out. Well, but, but uh, a movie we discussed last time that you have seen since then. Do you have any takes on that? And we're talking about Menasha. Yeah, I really liked Menasha. I, th- I think I said something similar to what you guys said, which is I would like to to hear more about you know people who are not at all Jewish see the movie or not at all from from New York also who have no interaction with Hasidim yeah. see the movie we didn't get any I, I told people to watch it but everyone's like yeah I'll check it out and nobody did yeah to me it's a parallel to Precious in the sense that it's it's like a zoom in on like the life of a, a, a poor neighborhood in New York City that a lot of people see on the streets all the time but don't interact with and mm-hmm. uh, you know and uh, it shows people uh, you know warts and all but uh, the way they made the movie is also really interesting, of course. But yeah, we discussed that last week. So let's let's jump into the top twelve, and we're going to start with that. Uh, uh, this is Ov's list, of course. The top twelve. We're going to start with uh, number twelve, Wonder Woman, which uh, is a superhero movie. Akiva never sees superhero movies. I almost Correct. never see superhero movies. I did watch this one. I loved it. It's number three on my list. So first off, tell us relative to other superhero movies why it's so good. So, you know, for me, I'm, I, I enjoy superhero movies. I see a lot of them, but I'm not, you know, like a superhero obsessive. I never read any of these comics. So, you know, I just kind of come to them each on their own terms. And Wonder Woman was just very different from almost every superhero movie I've ever seen. Um, obviously, the fact that it has a female lead is a big part of that. Um, and it was just kind of the way they crafted her character. You know, usually these superheroes are, you know, very tough you know, strong-minded people, and she kind of more approaches the world through compassion and naivety, and that was just a really refreshing change of pace for a superhero movie, and just felt like it made the movie in a way more grounded in real life. This was someone who was approaching the world and trying to see the good in humanity and had a belief in humanity that we could overcome our struggles and, you know, come together to and war and end suffering and you know there's a there's a, a scene in the movie where she passes by 
some people, I think they were poor or suffering or starving. And usually in like a superhero movie, you would expect them to, you know, kind of focus on the bigger picture because, you know, there's these things that are trying to end the world. And her compassion enabled her to actually, you know, I'm going to go help these people. And that was just something that I've never seen in this type of movie before. And I was, that was really eye-opening. What about you, Keith? Uh, you don't usually even watch superhero movies, right? Well, not usually. I didn't watch it. Oh, you did not see Wonder Woman either? No, I, you said okay. I don't see superhero movies. All right, so let me tell you. I saw Wonder Woman for the same reason I saw uh, Get Out, which is another movie in a genre that I would ordinarily never watch. And it's because I was on HBO Go, and it was there. And I was like, well, you know, it's so easy to watch. I don't even have to, you know, go into my podcasters guild, uh, you know, uh, uh, screener. So I'll just watch this. The last superhero movie I had seen was The Dark Knight, which friends, uh, especially Mike Zim, insist that I see because it was different than all the superhero movies. And guess what? I hated it. So I think that, you know, the reason I like this is it wasn't a superhero movie. It was largely a period film, which is my favorite kind of movie. It was like a movie about World War One, And it's sort of it's like so the your same favorite I, kind of movie is a period film. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's why I like, you know, that's so, so like broad, though, it's like your favorite type of movie is like. I like movies that take place in, in previous points in history involving, you know, significant figures. It's this, look, this, the reason I love Game of Thrones, even though it's fantasy, is because it's mostly a period drama about sort of like the Middle Ages, obviously, in another world. So that's part of it. Obviously, I have a huge crush on Gal Gadot. The only, the only, my only slight flaw with Wonder Woman, I, I, obviously, for those who watch Fargo, the TV show, the, the, the actor David Thewlis plays the bad guy in the last season of Fargo, and he's so evil, and his face is so evil, that the moment I saw him in Wonder Woman, I immediately knew that he was going to be Ares, so, like, part of that suspense was ruined for me. Yeah, but I'm sure, like, the comic book nerds all knew, like, who's going to be the bad guy or whatever. Watching. Yeah, yeah, the people, yeah, it's, again, it's almost like Game of Thrones. The people who love it are watching it. Like, for me, because I didn't, like, I didn't know about all these things, like, the her a lasso of truth is, like, you know, these are all, like, famous things from the comic books, and I obviously didn't know about any of that stuff, so. Right. Yeah, same, same. I, I didn't know any of that either, and there were, you know, this movie it had genuinely interesting ideas and things to say about war and foreign policy and isolationism versus internationalism and you know you, you don't usually expect that in a superhero movie and you know you know obviously the elephant in the room is you know there's a lot of people who think that you know this is just getting accolades because of you know the cultural zeitgeist and it being a a movie about a woman superhero and you know honestly I don't see that at all but even if that's the case you know just some of the accounts that I've read and heard on podcasts of women who saw this movie and literally started crying at various points in the movie just because this was the first time they had ever seen themselves represented in this way in a movie in their lives. And I've, I've heard even some women say, you know, this is the first time I understood why men like superhero movies because, you know, they, they had never experienced seeing themselves on screen just like kicking ass and fighting and being awesome. And, you know, just for that, that's an, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, although I would say that the women that you know who uh, see themselves in Gal Gadot probably have a misperception about themselves, but that's true about any of us who see ourselves in Chris Pine, I guess. Exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, like, the listeners who sent us lists, uh, spoiler alert, all men, they all had Wonder Woman very high also. And so, you know, and I, I don't think it was just for, you know, political reasons that they liked it, so. No, I, but, I agree. Know, so. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I want to address that, uh, that criticism that I've heard and, I don't, I don't really buy it. I don't think everyone conspired to pretend that this was a great movie. I think it was genuinely great. And it, it just had a lot of really interesting things to say. She was a fascinating character. She was basically a, a superhero and a Disney princess rolled into one, which was really impressive to pull off. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, my, my daughter dressed up as Wonder Woman for this year. I don't know how she found out about Wonder Woman, but that's just you know an extra cherry on the top for me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely a, it's hit like the cultural zeitgeist even for people who haven't seen the movie, uh, which is again part of what pushed me to see it. All right, let's get to number eleven. Uh, another movie that was all over the Oscars last night. This is one I have not seen. Call Me By Your Name. Akiva, have you seen Call Me By Your Name? No. I, I To me, <laughs> oh, it's like I, the, when I found out like that he's like kind of young, the kid, and the guy's older, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is kind of creepy. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, let me ask you that because I did not see the movie, but I thought that it was quite risky to, you know, almost be, you know, feeding into like the right wing, you know, sort of homophobic narrative to have like, you know, an adult man having a relationship like that with like, a teenage boy. If it was a teenage girl, it definitely wouldn't be appropriate either. So tell me why we're yeah, wrong. So, I mean, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but I mean. And I didn't see the movie, so I, I know. Right. So, Neither I one of us know what we're so talking just, about. You know, just to, <laughs> to take a step back. So Colby By Your Name was a novel written by, I think, an Italian novelist. And in Italy, I believe the age of consent is like 15 or 16. So this is a story about a 17-year-old boy and like a 23-year-old man, which... To us, that, oh, so they're not that, that far apart. Oh yeah, you know what? My impression from like Twitter, was I thought it was like thirty and fifteen. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought. It also, was by like the way, really... I, we don't have to follow Italy. I mean, Italy also voted for like you know Putinist, you know, uh, Trumpsies uh, yesterday. That's, that's fine. Whatever, I'm just so. saying. In the so, by the way, the country you're from literally voted for Trump. So I don't yeah, know that's true. Can't, <laughs> can't throw shade at anybody else's voting. Yeah, and, like say, yeah. And, okay, and valid, valid. So yeah, I mean, and I do think that the casting of Army Hammer, who just is this just very big adult looking man makes it a little bit more jarring and it was something that I that I did sit didn't sit well with me during the movie but putting that aside uh, it was just an absolutely gorgeous movie the depiction of the Italian countryside and just a, a portrait of a place that was so beautiful and these two people who are just experiencing first love um, you know it's 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 easy to say that this is just a movie about a gay relationship, but it's the fact that they're that it's a gay relationship is almost besides the point in this movie. Uh, it's not even totally clear throughout the whole movie whether or not they're gay or just experimenting. They both have relationships with girls as well, and it's really just to me like a movie about when you're a teenager and you're experimenting or exploring or fantasizing and you don't know what to do. You don't know what you're supposed to do with these emotions that you're having for the first time, and having that person who's just like the first person who just totally overwhelms you in a way that you just don't know how to react. And it was just really beautiful. It moves very, very slow at the beginning and then kind of reaches a crescendo, I'd say halfway or two thirds the way through the movie. And I, I think that kind of mirrored the way that these types of crushes and relationships often go where for the person in it, it, it feels like it's been dragging on forever and you're just waiting for that person to pay attention to you and to acknowledge you. And then once they finally do, then things just start to move really, really fast. And, you know, they, it was just really, really well done. And the without spoiling it, just the, the, end of the, the end of the movie, there's just two scenes back to back. The movie ends, a conversation between the young boy played by Timothy Chalamet and his father. One of the best scenes I've seen in a movie in years. Just totally heartbreaking. And a father who we should all be so lucky to have a father as compassionate, understanding and mature as that. Okay, um, and what did you think to Chalamet? You know, he was obviously nominated for best uh, actor. You thought yeah, he was really great. He was also in uh, in Lady Bird, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, he had a really great year, and I think that will a lot of great things to come for him. He's a great young actor. Let's dive into Ov's uh, top ten, and hopefully, we'll find a movie that both of us have actually seen. And not yet. Number ten not is number Logan. 10. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's Logan. Logan Lucky. I, this is like a superhero yeah. one. Yeah, is this Wolverine? This is Wolverine. Yes. 
That's okay, by the way, name for Nick, Nick Nickish had this as his number one movie of the year, and Zach wow. Brooks had this as his number one movie of the year. Wow, we must be missing something. By the way, I'm not knocking superhero movies. Like, they're probably great. I just feel like I only have so much time as it is, and I'd rather spend it, you know, like, with my family, JK. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the thing I would say about Logan is that I would say that this is a movie that even if you're not a superhero person, you can still see because it's it doesn't really feel like a superhero movie. It's about a character who, you know, technically is a superhero and has been in other superhero movies, but it's really just a a Western, you know, that takes place in the same universe as those other superhero movies. And it's actually quite a, a testament to what Marvel has been doing compared to DC, who just makes these bleak, dark movies that nobody likes. Uh, other than Wonder Woman, um, that they've they've realized that they can make these genre type movies that exist in superhero worlds like this, like Deadpool. I would say even Thor is kind of like that. It's just a straight up comedy that just is about a superhero. And this is just a western. It's just it's it's an R rated violent movie with incredible action scenes about a really really interesting character. He's depressed. He's he's a drug abuser and. He's kind of like in the waning days of his life, and he's all of a sudden he gets he gets you know tested by several several things that happen in the plot, which I don't want to spoil. And there's you know very interesting characters that all he comes into contact with, and it's really much more about the characters and the story itself, unlike these other superhero movies where it's just like okay, this is part six of a larger story, and you needed to have seen the first five, and we're just trying to set up three new characters for the next one. It was you know it wasn't any of that, and it just is true to itself. It's grounded in the story itself, and that I think to me sets it apart from most superhero movies. And I think even people who generally don't like them might enjoy this. All right, okay, so that's hopefully that's find a movie that we've both seen, or all three of us have seen. Number nine, Detroit. Akiva, have you seen Detroit? No, uh, sorry, you've seen it, Chester. <laughs> yeah, I saw Detroit. Uh, to me, I have Detroit number four on my list. It was as affecting a movie as I saw this year. Uh, not, uh, not, not to get on too high a horse, but like from time to time, I'll finish reading a book or, or seeing a movie or something, and my conclusion is basically like, like goddamn, how much I would just hate America if I was black, and like this movie is one of those. Um, it's you know really disturbing. That having been said, uh, this movie was like forty minutes too long. Everything that happened after the night at the Algiers ended, the trial and all that, everything else like that, sh- that could they could have had like epilogue cards. That should not have been in the movie. This movie was way too long. Um, so I hear you. I think that why that was effective that end part of the movie is because i think it kind of shows you that for the experience of black people or other people who the system just doesn't work for and they are forced to kind of relive it not only did they see or have the experience being tortured and brutalized like that or having their family members brutalized like that then when finally you think okay they got caught they're gonna the people who did this are going to serve trial it's you know they have to relive it and go through that again and see that the system just—it's just fundamentally broken and will never work for them, even even when it's supposed to. And I, I thought that was actually really effective. I would say the beginning part of the movie—I guess you know—they needed to set up a little bit, just you know, the the context of everything that was happening. But that to me was where I think they could have cut cut things. But it really—the movie just goes in a different direction than you expected to. You think it's kind of just going to be this broad narrative of like an entire summer of just an entire you know all the rides the things that happen and then it really just zooms in and focuses on this one night of this one series of events at this motel and it's it was one of the most tension-filled movies i've seen in a long time just really really fantastic you feel like you're in that room with those characters in that hotel and i don't think i've experienced that in a movie in quite some time and it just almost becomes a horror movie you're just hoping these people are going to survive the movie yeah, I mean, it definitely it has a feeling of 
like Dunkirk in a sense in the beginning. It's just like a bunch of random scenes for, from one sort of panel, and then you're then all of a sudden it turns into actually having a narrative. So they could have cut some of the could cut some of the end, um, but um, yeah, overall uh, a very effective movie. So we still have not found one that all three of us have seen, and it's funny that I've been I've seen more than than Akiva so far. So that's sort of. Against but just the, the, the top twelve. Corner. I mean, I you know I had seen a many, right. many. Like, well, let's get to number eight. I I know okay. that we've all seen number eight. Number eight on sure. on Ov's list is Lady Bird. Uh, I have it number five on my list. Uh, Akiva, where do you have Lady Bird? Uh, I have uh, I have it at eight. Um, to me, Lady Bird is. Oh no, sorry. Av has it number eight. I have it at number six. To me, uh, it's a really, 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 really well done, like thoughtful movie. But I don't know if it breaks any new ground. Like, I feel like we've seen this movie before, just slightly worse. And the acting is really good. Um, I'd say, like, Sir Sharon is, like, 98% believable as an American. Um, but the, uh, I, to me, it's like, we've seen this coming-of-age story. This is just, like, it's out of, like, the YA, like, the young adult sort of version of it. And it's into more of a... Uh, like, okay, this is like Greta Gerwig's sort of uh, more sophisticated vision. I, I don't I don't know. I To me, like, would you watch Lady Bird again? I don't think I'd watch it again. Maybe we're not the intended audience. So, yeah, so, think, yeah, I'm here. So, um, I, I'm to your point, you know, I actually preferred last year's The Edge of Seventeen of this type of coming-of-age movie about yeah. a sassy uh, female teenager. Very similar. I'd say they're almost the even uh, So the, the thing that stuck out to me about this movie, and I would Remember, you're supposed to put pit female movies against each other. That's what of course. Um, no, it just, it just reminded me of each other. So... No, they're very they similar. similar. No, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so when I saw this movie, I, did, I wasn't totally taken by it, and it, then it just it stuck with me for some reason. And I think the thing that stuck with me was the way it portrayed the parents. And I guess it, it was a little yeah. bit depressing for me to realize that I'm starting to resonate with parents more than teenagers in movies. So Yeah, yeah, maybe this is our problem. Yeah, so that's, I, I, that's just know. something I'm going to have to sort out on my own. But I just thought the parents were just very deeply drawn. I mean, the father is just the the warmest, gentlest soul that you could imagine. Just an absolutely great father. Mm -hmm. The mom, obviously, is a much more complicated character. You know, she's... I agree. In a bad version of this movie, like, at least one of the parents would have been a total zero, and you wouldn't have known anything about Correct. Her. And, you know, so the mom is, you know, she's emotionally abusive, she's verbally abusive, she's horrible in lots of different ways, but as the movie goes on, you really get to see what's below the surface, and you really start to feel for her. And there's that there's that scene towards the end of the movie where they're dropping her off at the airport, and that just totally crushed me. To just to watch her experiencing that, it, it reminded me of one of the, the final scenes of Boyhood when the, the mom goes through a similar thing, and you know she her son is so excited to go off to college, and she tells him this is the worst day of my life. You know I've been spending my whole life dreading this day that you're going to just go out and be on your own, and basically my life as I know it is going to be over. At, what do you like better, Boyhood or? Oh, uh, Boyhood is probably my favorite movie the last 10 years so not even close yeah i had boyhood number one and just looking at my last four number ones florida project american honey 99 homes which i know is nobody else's number one um and boyhood yeah boyhood is my favorite of the four also yeah so but the, but this i thought this was a really really good movie uh saoirse ronan was fantastic greta gerwig is gonna make a lot of great movies to come and i'm excited to see those um so yeah i mean I, I, I think I, I didn't love it as much as some people did, but I really, really enjoyed it. So the movie that I actually thought it was somewhat comparable to, obviously 
not not exactly, but the movie that came to mind for me was Ten Things I Hate About You, which is a movie I love and I've seen like way too many times. Uh, you know, set sort of in the Pacific Northwest in, in high school, and sort of the uh, the the, the Julia Stiles character is sort of similar personality wise to, um, to to Lady Bird. I, I thought it was good. I thought the hype was a little like you know not not to like you know get on the wrong side of the woke police, but if this movie was made by a man, would it have been celebrated the same way? Because like we've seen a lot, a lot of movies about about teenagers, both boys and girls. Um, and so, I, as Akiva said, I don't know if this treaded that much new territory. It did very well what it did, but I don't know if it was necessarily a unique film. So, and, and people acted as if it was like a totally I, unique I, film. I, 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 don't know. I think Maybe it I'm also wrong. did a good job by setting it in the past instead of the present, and just kind of really capturing a time and place in in just the culture, uh, just at the turn of the century. So, for people who are now, you know, the older millennials who are approaching their 30s or in their 30s, it was just, I think, was extremely resonant that just kind of captured what their childhood was like in that moment. All right, let's get to number seven. Uh, I have not even heard of this movie, although I see um, one listener who was the seven this top ten. Was that gross? What is Ghost Story? Uh, a ghost Story was the probably the strangest movie I saw. Actually, Colossal was probably the strangest movie I saw this year, but A Ghost Story was up there as well. So In A Ghost Story is about, it starts out being about a couple played by Casey Affleck and Rudy Mara, and it's not a spoiler to say that in like the first five or ten minutes of the movie, Casey Affleck's character dies, and when the, the doctor, or I think actually uh, Rudy Mara's character in the hospital, puts like the, the bed sheet over him because now he's dead and walks away. And then a few seconds later, he becomes reanimated and it's just Casey Affleck standing under this bedsheet for the rest of the movie. And he goes back to, he goes back <laughs> to the house and he basically, for a good period of time, is just basically watching Rudy Mara just in solitude and observing her and reacting to her. But obviously he's dead and he can't do anything about it, which kind of really puts him and the audience in the same place because you just have this observation ability but you can't do anything about the situation and it's it's torturous and frustrating but you know you also become just this fly on the wall to watching somebody else going through this unbelievable grief and solitude and it's just a really haunting beautiful movie i i really would recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to go see it i probably already told you too much about what it's about just because the experience of just seeing this unfold without knowing anything about it it was just wonderful um, and it just, you know, there's just a lot of, it has a lot to say about time and how ephemeral the body is and just the nature of grief and what it means to connect with other human beings. And it was just absolutely magical movie. And uh, did you see this movie? No, I've, uh, I had seen it on uh, an initial list of Avs that he had seen. And I started watching it, and then after 15 minutes, I'm like, I'm going to watch something else first, and I never got back to it. Okay, so let's get to number six. And I think this is the second movie in the top 12 that we've all seen. The Disaster Artist. Uh, I had it number 10 on my list. It was not as good as I was hoping it would be. Uh, you know, it was good, but... Let, well, first, let me ask a question. Ah, Akiva, had you guys seen um, The Room before you had seen Disaster Artist? I had not. I've seen it like three or four times since then, though. Okay, and what about you, Akiva? I had se- I don't know if I'd seen it start to finish, but I w- I'll say I was extremely familiar with it, and I'd seen most of it. Okay, so you before before you had seen. Okay, so let's start with you because you had a different perspective. Av and I only saw the room after we saw Disaster Artist. So how did how did the Disaster Artist match up to you having experience with the room? I mean, 
I mean, I, I don't know what it would be like. It's a weird movie to see if, you ha- if you're not familiar with The Room. If you're even familiar with a couple scenes, you get the gist of it. But if you've never seen The Room, you're totally unfamiliar with it. Because like, it's, you know, a lot of it is just the, the impressiveness, if you're even impressed by it, is just the, the idea that it's this shot-for-shot remake, right? Um, there's not a lot of meat on the bone other than the fact that, like, you know, even into the credits, they're, like, showing you, you know, a million more minutes of how they basically filmed half the movie, uh, you know, like, to a scale. Uh, it's fun seeing all the all the cameos, you know, the the uh, the Manzukas's and 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 Paul Shears and those type of people. I, I, I it's it's a good movie, but I also think it's like a little bit disposable. Like it was funny and interesting, and like I feel like we'll never think about it again after this year. Yeah, I mean, to me, the problem was I thought that it could have done an even better job of making highlighting how ridiculous the room is. Because like, the room is a better, the room is a more enjoyable movie for me than Disaster Artist. The room is much funnier and more insane. Well, yes, obviously, it's you know, it's the most horrible and insane movie ever made. Um, and you know, I'm certainly not going to forget about this because um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, I have a group of friends that talk to each other almost exclusively in references to the room. So it's going to be a problem escaping that for some time. Oh, that's very unfortunate. That's uh, a lot of fun. But, you know, anyway, um, I mean, it's like the boring thing. It'll be good for a while. Yeah. All right, do we have any more takes uh, on Listener the Alex Kutz <laughs> says, I don't really understand the disaster artist hype. I was so bored and I love The Room. I, I didn't think, think it was, was boring. boring at all. I mean, I, I absolutely love this movie. I went in. I had heard of The Room. I, I kind of heard, oh, there's this movie that's really bad, but people go and they, you know, it's this participatory experience and people love it. And it's a great time. So I, so I went to see the disaster artist, and I was—I absolutely loved it. I think John Fra- uh, John Franco, James Franco's performance is one of the best of the year to ca- capture to capture that yeah, character to basically act and play as a bad actor and this this, this crazy lunatic was just absolutely a brilliant performance, and it was hilarious. I you know this was to me the funniest movie of the year. I couldn't stop laughing when I was watching it. Just all the scenes of how they set up the scene the scenes in the actual movie and just the interaction between the different characters, some of whom have no idea what's going on and what what they're even making. It was... Yeah, I didn't think the movie knew exactly what it wanted to be. Right, it opens up sort of like differently than. Then, uh, you know, it, the basically, you know, doesn't he like introduce the movie kind of? And, and then it's like, what is it? Is it like mockumentary? Is it also, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know what I would have done differently about it. I do think it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, he, if sometimes a character is too weird to be fictionalized and like Tommy Wiseau, you know, I'd rather see a documentary about how strange he is than a movie about how, uh, you know, like someone portraying him in a funny way. I mean, I, I still really liked it. I had it number five also. I, I'm not, yeah, and, I'm, we're just nitpicking. Um, I just also thought that the way that it approaches the movie, not as, you know, an object of derision, but of something that they admire, despite the fact that it's genuinely terrible, just added a lot of heart to the movie. Because, you know, it... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's partially because he's involved in some weird way, right? Like he's at least giving the green light. So there's some like these aren't people who who like think Tommy Wiseau is a monster, right? They they're maybe laughing at him, not with him, but they there's some there's love like, there. And I love think there. it's a testament to people who are in the filmmaking and just who are artists understand that what it takes for a person to kind of put themselves out there and actually go and make something takes a lot. And there's a lot of people who just you know sit on their couch and watch movies and say, oh, that movie was terrible. That person's a joke but they'll never actually go and make something in their entire life. And the fact that what he made is bad is, you know, fine, it's bad. But 
he actually went and did it. He put himself into it. He spent all of his money. He spent, you know, years of his life trying to make something. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. And honestly, if you look back now, I mean, he made a movie that people all over the country go and see every Friday night. And he's made millions of dollars from it. So it's easy to say, oh, that movie was a disaster. It was a failure. But, you know, I'm not sure Tommy Wiseau views his, this movie as a disaster. Well, there's two if we're talking about Rizzo personally there's there's two issues here one is it almost seems like we're taking advantage of somebody who might be you know on the spectrum and might be mentally ill i'm not sure and then the other mm-hmm. thing and you can respond to both these at the same time is that we might be it might be somebody with some really sordid criminal past because where he got the millions of dollars to produce this movie is it never nobody really knows but there's strong implications oh, so a, that it was something criminal that. so so my theory is that in his past life, Tommy Wiseau did something else that was the same as The Room. Like he was in, had some other enterprise that was horrible and terrible, but somehow he managed to make millions of dollars off it, just like he then did again with The Room. But how does nobody know what that is? Like, you know, reporters oh, looking into it. It's, it's, just, it's just a theory. <laughs> All right, let's get, uh, let's jump into Oz Top 5. The number five movie of the year for off, uh, I, Tanya. So, Tell us why you love this movie. This is a movie, movie so that I thought was both hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, it's it's done in this kind of quasi mockumentary style where it's it's kind of there's these interviews with uh, you know the actress who plays Tanya Harding and the actress who plays her boyfriend Jeff Galuli and some of the other characters in the movie and it kind of frames the movie of telling differing narratives of the same sequence of events, which was, I thought, very original and a clever way to do it. And just very funny. Allison Janney is magnificent. I should say Oscar winner Allison Janney is magnificent. Um, and it's also just this really heartbreaking story of someone who lives a life of abuse, who is abused by her mother when she's a child and then is abused by her boyfriend and then husband. And when finally she, you know, thinks she's about to make it to the top, she turns into this punchline and then is abused by the media and, you know, all of us for the rest of her life who, you know, she became just this total punchline. And, you know, whether or not she was involved, we don't really know to this day how involved she was and if she was involved in we're pretty sure. Well, she well was yeah. Well, hold on. I think I think that's something the movie implies, which is quite false. I mean, we know for certain that she was very involved. I mean, she had I like mean, she wrote right. She, her handwriting. She almost certainly wrote down the address of the practice facility for Nancy. Uh, you know, it's important to note, and the film does not note that Nancy Kerrigan was, by every account, very nice to Tanya Harding and gave her no reason other than being better with her and maybe prettier than her. Uh, where, why she would dislike her because Nancy Kerrigan. I, ironically, now is kind of viewed as an ice queen, no pun intended, and is and is generally viewed as sort of it, people in figure skating by not be, like. There's a reason why she's not the color commentator, right? She's the most famous figure skater, uh, and and you know I think part of it is she's not really viewed as like a peppy personality. I, but but at the time she was all business and 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 you know seemed to have to have by all accounts have been nice to Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. It's it's nice to know her backstory, but I think this movie had to half focus on Nancy, half focus on Tanya for you to really appreciate it. I hated it. I'm gonna be like I I I hated it. It wasn't one of the worst movies of the year, but it easily, based on the story, should have been one of the top five movies of the year, and it's not even anywhere near my top ten because it's it's totally bogus. First of all, it's way too long. This movie is insanely long. Um, they should have they should have cut so many things. They didn't even get to like certain things. I I. I 
I the Allison Janney's amazing as as the mom, and you really feel like that she is a monster. But first of all, Margot Robbie's is probably like too pretty for you to sort of like get the you know even though like frumping her up to play Tanya Harding. I, I you don't you don't feel you only feel one half of the story. There, there's no, no none of the other skaters, well, Christian Maguchi or Midori Yudo, or even it's not like, about them. It's only you know, about characters. I understand, but like you're 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 you were portraying this like very. It was such a big deal, and I don't know. I, I to me it was just so much worse than. It, fair than enough. It I, yeah, to me the the, the movies and I it's again into... it's a comedy about about someone ruining like Nancy Kerrigan's life. Yeah, the movies I came into came into the most excited to see this year that both let me down a little bit were Disaster Artist and this one even more. I was so pumped for this movie. I thought the way they did it was a little unique. Like, you know, at one point where, like, you know, while they're busy fighting, the characters in the flashbacks turn to the camera and, you know, the fourth wall and say, hey, this didn't happen. Like, that kind of stuff is it, funny. Yeah, it didn't even bother me. But, no, no, it, it wouldn't even bother you. They do it for, I mean, they do that on purpose. It's not like an accident. No, I understand it's not an accident, but I'm saying that, like, to me, I'm, I'll, I'll buy that. I, it probably isn't the choice that I think ultimately they should have made, but, like, I'll buy that, like, that's, that's like, a, a decent device. Yeah, um, I just – I was I was a little underwhelmed, honestly. But, I mean, uh, oh, did you no. think uh, – did you think it was similar to Disaster Artist? Because I thought there was sort of, it was a similar – sort of a unique take on something that – I don't know. Uh, to me, they were very similar. Uh, listen, they were both kind of well. I, I love both of these movies. Um, I guess to Akiva's – some of Akiva's points, I guess I wasn't in, as invested in – the real events. Uh, I'm not as familiar with those. I mean, I, I remember it as a kid, but you know, I, it's not something that I've checked back in at any time since then. So it's kind of just this story that happened adjacent to something I remember from a long time ago. So it kind of just had a little bit of nostalgia for me, but I didn't really get too swept up in the exact details. So, you know, I don't really care whether or not it's that how true it is that but how involved she was. And I guess that to an extent, that's kind of one of the points of the movie is just, you know, we all have our own narratives and our own truths. And, you know, for for what it was saying about Tanya Harding and her life, I thought this was felt very, it rang very true to that, to just this person who is had been so enclosed and encompassed in abuse her whole life that she couldn't really see outside of that. And it is like, you know, there's this mo- this line towards the beginning where she says, Nancy gets one t- gets hit one time and everyone loses their shit, but I got hit every day of my entire life and nobody cared about that. And that doesn't make anything, if, assuming that she was involved, it doesn't make what she did right, but it doesn't mean that you can't also have understanding and empathy for a person who suffered. doesn't mean that it, it, it... But the movie implies that it does. She came to the Golden Globes and had like a seat of honor. Right. I, what happens, I, she lost her mind so like thoroughly after the Golden Globes. I think that at the time, she was for sure going to be part of the Oscars. Also, oh, yeah. Also, sort of faded Agreed. from the consciousness. But after she said, like, you need to pay me, like, $50,000 to have an interview, at that point, everyone was out on her because they realized, like, oh, she's back to her, like, her old ways. I do think it br- brings up an interesting point of, like, when Quentin Tarantino makes his Charles Manson movie next year, like, obviously, if Charles Manson was still alive, like, he's not going to be interviewed, or maybe someone would have, but, like, he wouldn't have been part of it, or I, he was in jail anyway. But, like, the idea of, like, if someone is truly a monster, they're, like then they're not going to be part of the movie. And Tanya Harding, not a monster, but also not a good person. I feel like we were maybe, I don't know. I, I feel like she's never really apologized. She's never really admitted guilt. And we're, we're just like letting her back in. Like, does time heal all wounds? You know, I, I don't I don't know. I, it was weird that she was sort of involved in making the, uh, many similar movies. The Margot, the, the Margot Robbie you know, role, the person playing this not great person would never 
have like spoken to her, but it felt like they were like becoming buddies, like her and uh, Tiny Harding, at least like publicly. Yeah, I mean that was definitely the perception. I think you're you're right. If if she had played her cards better, she would have showed up at the Oscars, and that would have looked really bad. I think. Mm-hmm. Especially no, for a year, where we're it definitely would have happened. A year sure. where we're supposed to be, you know, you know, not glorifying, you know, uh, you know, violence against women. But, okay. Number four. Number four, the big sick. Uh, I think we all saw this one. Uh, Av, you have it number four, so it's one of your favorite movies. So let's hear it. Um, this was just to me a a very beautiful, warm, funny movie, um, just about relationships and relationships with our loved ones, with our with our parents, with our significant others, and it was just really you know like kind of like three relationships, one layered on top of the other, that it, almost that the most important relationship in his life was the least important relationship in the movie. And it was just interesting to see that kind of reversal. And it just kind of examines different types of relationships. You know, you have the arranged marriages, you have the, you know, the more modern romantic, you know, just meet somewhere. You have the relationship between um, Emily's parents played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, which to me was the most interesting relationship in the movie. Those two were both fantastic. And, yeah, two more parents that were really, I mean, especially Ray Romano, who was given a little bit more to do than Holly Hunter, like parents that really could have been just like nothing characters, but end up really carrying big parts of the movie. Yeah, and it was just, I just thought it was really interesting. It kind of just lays out three different types of relationships and doesn't really make an argument for what's the best type. You know, it's easy to poke fun at the arranged marriage, but it's arguable that, you know, the his parents and his brother have the most stable, healthy relationships in the movie. Um, but obviously that's, you know, most of us would prefer the type of relationships that we have where you, you know, you go and you meet someone and it's romantic and you fall in love with them. But it was just, I just thought a really beautiful movie. It's, you know, a lot to say about religion. There's that scene towards the end of the movie where he, uh, he's confronting his parents about, you know, the fact that he's dating this white girl that they're unhappy with. And he just asks them, you know, if you wanted me to be a Pakistani Muslim, why did you bring me to America? What did you think would happen? And I thought that was just a really powerful scene. Uh, I think, you know, those of us who are in, you know, the Orthodox world could probably resonate with that a lot and probably is the type of question that many of us would ask our parents or that we one day our children might ask us. And, you know, I don't know that we have a good answer to that necessarily. But it's just, it was really thought-provoking. It was just, I just found, I was really taken by it. Yeah, I have it number three. You know, it's a story I was pretty familiar with, just like they're on like the indie alt comedy uh, circuit. And, you know, I've heard this story on, on podcasts before, at least parts of it. But it still felt fresh and, and super interesting being put in the movie. Um, I, I t- like my, my only quibble was the very end, which I, I guess I won't say what the last scene is. But the last scene was unrealistic. And also the scene, which I think is in the trailer uh, towards the very it might even be at the very beginning. I forget. Um, where she calls an Uber and it's him. That's you know, there's no way that ever ever happened. Like especially in your in Chicago or wherever they were, where there's a billion Uber drivers. But he was the closest. Yeah, but I think it's changing up. Like the, there was no Uber when when they started dating. Also, like t- t- you know, where's wait? So, so your complaint is that this is not a complete accurate representation of of the person who wrote it and his real relationship? Like- yes, that's my complaint. Listen, this is nitpick. This is nitpick central. This is my segment. Um, but it was really great. It, it, it was so great. Um, I would be interested, like, will Kumail and Emily, like, tell another story that's not theirs? You know, like, what, what they would do next? Like, are they just going to, like, keep making movies? Like, this was their, their one story. I wonder, you know, not that they have no not lived anything else, but, like, I wonder, like, if they're going to make original stuff after this. And 
It's also weird, like, Emily was a therapist who just happens to, like, marry this comedian, and now she's, like, an Academy Award-nominated uh, screenwriter. Like, to me, uh, it just shows all the kids out there, like, you know, start dating people who are already in Hollywood, you and you're literally already you in Hollywood. You gotta marry the right point. person. Yes. If you get an arranged yeah, marriage, your chances of meeting someone in Hollywood are very slim. Yeah, it is. It it is always very depressing when you 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 know you see an actress or an actor in a movie or a director, and then you look at the Wikipedia page yeah. and you find out that like everyone's grandfather was Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And by the way, that's one of the reasons. Like you're talking about, call me by my name. You look at Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. And it's like, oh, he looks really rich. Like he was for sure was really rich, <laughs> and I'm sure he was. But um, yeah, it's true. But listen, all of life works that way. Of like. You look at look at the list for not just this president, but for this president doesn't have any friends. But look at the list of every president and it's all and every ambassador for that president. And unless it's a country you wouldn't want to live in, it's just their friends and college buddies. Um, you know, that, like, that's just how that's just how life works. Like that, you, it's just literally all about who you know. So sleep with people and you and you. Not that they didn't do an amazing job, but like it's depressing that you can the only, like Hollywood's an important impossible town to get into unless you happen to know someone. In which case, you're already in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I like this movie, but I just there were, I didn't think there was anything particularly unique about it. I think we've seen some movies like this before. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it was I don't know. It was all right. So that's uh, uh, all right. So that's the big sick. But a whole bunch of our listeners had it in the top five as well. So everybody seems to love the movie. I didn't recall, so I didn't hate it. Um, all right, number three is a movie I have not seen. Um, my kids are a little bit too young. Coco. Everybody loves Coco, right? Yeah, Coco is great. Coco the monkey. Ah, uh, are you are you in love with the Coco? I love the Coco. Yeah. Um, so Coco is the latest movie from Pixar. Uh, to me, outside of the Toy Story franchise, this is the best movie Pixar has ever made. It's so you know, just to give a little bit of background, it's about this young Mexican boy, um, and he be, he wants to become a musician. He becomes very excited about music and playing guitar, but the problem is that his family, for whatever reason, is very against music. You know, his grandmother, his parents, they they're very anti-music. They don't let everyone listen to music, playing music. So he kind of has to like sneak out to, you know, take take guitar lessons and go play at festivals and try to learn to become a musician, and. At fairly early into the movie, there we we he crosses over into what is called in Spanish the Dia de los Muertos. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but the it's the land of the oh sorry I'm I'm saying it wrong. That's the that means the day of the dead. But there's also this land of the dead, and it's just first of all just the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. Just totally vibrant colors, a palette that I've never seen before. Just extremely creative, and as he travels to this land of the dead on the day of the dead, he interacts with you know some of his dead family members and kinds to learns to reconnect with his family and just the movie is just so beautiful and has so much to say and so much to experience about what it what it means for a family to remember their loved ones and to keep them alive by through those memories and what legacy means and the way that you know it, it just it reminds me a lot of you know what their their um custom is very similar to what we do with the yard site where you kind of have this one day a year where you light a candle and kind of and you talk about the person and in that way it kind of keeps them alive and it was just extremely powerful i cried like three times when i watched this movie i can't wait till my kids are old enough that i can actually take them to see it because they're still a little too young for it um just brilliant animation brilliant music just a total masterpiece of a movie one of the best animated movies i've ever seen 
right, Akiva, your kids are old enough. Why haven't you seen show them this movie? Ah, uh, they just weren't interested. Yeah, you know, a lot. You know what uh, kids do a lot of times? They'd rather see a movie they've seen seven times than a movie they've never seen before. Yeah. It's like me at a restaurant. Yeah, that's probably true. Unlike Chester, who always wants to eat something different, and that's why he doesn't have a favorite food. One of your wildest takes. Yeah. Number two. Right. Number a two. I didn't see. You didn't see this? You know, everyone's like, it stinks. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. All right, that, that's insane. Uh, first of all, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm Day a Lewis. big PTA guy, although I hated yeah. The Master. But my favorite movie is probably There Will Be Blood. All right, so, I, you know, I, I like Paul Thomas Anderson, but Daniel Day-Lewis is, is far and away my favorite actor ever. Uh, his, you know, his batting average of getting nominated for movies is, is, is incredible. Um, I think In the Name of the Father might be one of my favorite two or three movies of all time. But I had some issues with Phantom Thread. So first off, tell us why it's the second best movie of the year. So, I mean, I was going to be in the tank for this. Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite filmmaker alive. I, I find his movies to just be absolutely magnificent. And Phantom Thread, like any of them, is just... It's the the way he uses sight and sound, you know, the visuals, the score, just like the sounds of in a house to just totally immerse you in the world of the movie and just transport you to where it is, is just like unlike anybody else. I don't, you know, I don't think anyone else is on his level and his ability to do that. And Daniel Day-Lewis is the perfect complement to that because, you know, we all we all know all the stories about the way that Daniel Day-Lewis gets into her character and, and this movie was on full display like ever before. Just, you know, you're just watching a guy and just even the way he'll bend his hands and the way he hunches over, you just in, totally buy that this is a guy who spent his life, you know, sewing dresses and sitting in a chair all day and thinking about how to make costumes. And so just to begin with, it's just, it has an aesthetic that very few movies ever do. And I thought that this was just a fascinating portrait of, you know, an, I guess you could want to say an unstable genius, uh, this kind of just auteur artist. And I think there was a lot of stand-in for his things that he has to say about an auteur, an auteur filmmaker who just puts their stamp and their own personal inspirations into everything that they make. And it's the type of person that our society typically celebrates and this movie kind of gives you a window into what it must be like to live with a person like that and to work with a person like that who is so you know so demanding and so specific that allows them to create such magnificent art but at the same time probably makes them miserable to be around so for me that was just a really interesting thing to see and the relationship at the center of this movie was also absolutely fascinating to me just to have these two people seemingly extremely independent extremely strong-willed to just become totally codependent and trying to make the other person dependent on them and as you know the movie into the third act turns into this psychological thriller that really just like keeps you on the edge of your seat and you just don't know what to expect what these characters are going to do and i just absolutely loved it i think this is a masterpiece i think that there's a lot of people who are going to be off put by it but i think if you actually sit down and watch this movie in its entirety unlike jennifer lawrence that you know you'll just find it mesmerizing all right so my issue with the movie first of all like a lot of movies this year i thought it was way way too long i i didn't find it too long for me if, if i'm immersed in a movie i don't care how long i mean obviously within reason but i don't know what's Right. If a movie's great, that's like, again, you know, if I won an Oscar last night, I'm going up there. My big political thesis is TV's better than movies. That's what I would yell. I'd say, I'd say TV's better than movies, and then I'd, and I'd win the jet ski. I did not watch a second of the Oscars, by the way, but I saw on uh, Twitter that he gave yeah, I mean, the this, jet ski. This movie's 130 uh, minutes. I don't think that's excessively long. That's, you know... A, that's not excessive. for for. That's like a short movie for like a Paul Thomas Yeah, I mean, most of his movies are, are approaching three hours. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody I watched it with, uh, we all thought it was way too long. I kept looking at my watch. I was... 
I was appreciating it, but not enjoying it. To be fair, it. they are like four, two, and one, so it would be weird for them to like a three-hour movie. Oh, you imply myself my kids. Yeah, well, those are your friends, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, my, my – it was a movie that as I watched it, I appreciated it but did not enjoy it. As I think back on it, I enjoy it more, which frankly is the same as, as Get Out, which I will get to. But to me, the, the issue just was that a lot of it was really boring and really slow. I agree with Av. This, the last third goes in directions you're not expecting. Dramatically so, and so it gets credit for that, obviously. But overall, I just thought that I don't know. I was I was I was expecting more for Paul Thomas Anderson. If the, and also if Daniel Day Lewis is done with movies, and I'm also I, I give this movie demerits because apparently Daniel Day Lewis was so depressed making this movie that that's what partly made him decide that he's done with movies. So yeah. Probably. So I, to me, I think he'll be back. It's 2018, 2022. He will have a movie out. Yeah, by the way, this is the only movie I saw in theaters uh, in 2017. It was Phantom Thread. Wow, that's wild. I've only yeah. seen the podcasting guild didn't have it available yet. No, I, I, you, I, 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 I love Daniel Day Lewis. I needed to see it. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't gonna wait. Okay, but how many movies did you see in theaters this year? Uh, a similar number. One or zero. Listen. Well, it's if it's bad. one, I want to know which one it is. So that's what I'm no, asking. No, it's, it's zero. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I took my kids. That involves getting out of the house, so I understand yeah. that's, that's not something you're going to do. Throw All right, let's get right let's get to the number one movie of the year. Uh, oh, yeah. This was this was another movie I had no interest in seeing. You know, I do not like uh, horror movies, and I was just like, you know, everybody was was worshiping this movie, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, this movie was so good. I watched this movie the first time, and I almost it was sort of like Phantom Thread in the sense that I was appreciating it but not really loving it just because I, I hate the feeling of horror movies or, or, or thrillers, whatever you want to call them. And I was like, well, I'll definitely never watch this again. But I appreciated it so much that afterwards I immediately, uh, you know, started uh, chatting with Av and telling him my thoughts. And he was telling me all these things I hadn't even noticed. And then the more I Googled, I learned even more and more stuff about it. And then I, my wife, who does love horror movies, that's like her favorite type of movie. I convinced her to watch this. And I watched with her the other night. And, and the movie is so much more brilliant than I thought. Like on the second viewing, I loved it even more. And I think the third viewing, I love it even more. And my number one movie, not just of this year, but my number one movie, I think since 2000, my number one movie of this millennium is Get Out. So I, I absolutely love this movie. Wow. Uh, to tell me why I'm no, right you're, or wrong. You're absolutely like right. This, is, this will be the movie of 2017. When, you know, in 5, 10, 20 Correct. years from now, when people talk about, you know, the great movies, it'll be Get Out. It's 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 just so brilliantly done. It's the way that it just, it functions as a horror movie on its own and just has a narrative and it creates tension and, you know, you're, you fear for the characters, but just, it's just with so many layers of just absolutely brilliant things to say about race and society, the way it just totally skewers the, you know, white liberal Manhattan types who, you know, would proudly claim how about, you know, they voted for Obama twice and I would vote, I would vote for him for a third time if they let me, but have probably never actually had a real interaction with a black person in their life and wouldn't know well, don't you think that in the sequel, like if there was a sequel to this movie, like there would be a guy saying, well, my favorite movies get out. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly right. And I, I even saw somebody uh, last night. It was, I think I think it was a black person who tweeted all the people that want get out to win best picture are the type of people who would kill you and get out. <laughs> and it, uh, Eva, where did you have this movie ranked? I have it as incomplete because I, I saw like most of the beginning and then I fell asleep. <laughs> I watched the last half hour oh my and I can't rank it. What? Oh I, I missed like 20 minutes. So if I don't see a full movie, if I skip like a minute of a movie, I'll go back. So for my ranking, oh it's my incomplete. God. 
Where, you like be, to criticize my movie takes. You are you are completely uh, oh, you're completely discredited. It would probably be uh, after Ingrid Goes West before the disaster artist. So in the five six range. This this is just unbelievably insane. Um, th- this is a movie. What do you want me to do? I I already knew how it ended, so I wasn't going to go back and watch the middle. First of all, you can watch it multiple times, as I'm telling you. I think the second viewing is more enjoyable than the than the first viewing. My instructions for all listeners: if you've seen this movie once, go watch it a second time. If you haven't seen it even once. Uh, we have to start talking about spoilers. So, um, you know, stop listening right now and I'll post in the notes when you can come back. But one of the things about this movie that makes it so incredible and so brilliant is the fact that from the very first scene of the movie, it gives away, it tells you exactly what's going to happen in a way that no movie ever does. And even though it tells you over and over and over exactly what's going to happen, exactly how it's going to happen, it still completely blows your mind what happens. It's like so brilliant. It's I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like the first scene of the movie, first of all, should not. It's like a giveaway. Oh, and, and then we see that guy again. We don't even realize it. Uh, the friend, uh, the comic relief friend immediately says in the beginning, they're going to kidnap you and turn you into a sex slave, which is exactly what happens every single time. Like every like, for example, the first time the, the father uh, Bradley Whitford, he says, uh, I like to keep a piece of my mother in here at all times In the as they walk into the kitchen and then we cut to Georgina. And like they just keep doing things like that over and over and over. They're giving away the whole movie to you and you don't pick up on any of it. It's just incredibly brilliant. Not to mention all like the, the subtle things it's saying about, you know, like like the, the that picking cotton is what helps uh, black people be free or that uh, using cell phone cameras is what helps people be free, like black people be free. Like all these things which you don't even realize necessarily as you watch it mind-blowingly brilliant this movie is incredible and the fact that jordan peele is the first movie he ever made it it blows my yeah. mind i just I, yeah it's a it's a it's a yeah, real accomplishment and you know like they they in general it's the case that you know the best horror movies are the ones that are built on a layer of like uh social or personal drama beneath them and this just you know captures that perfectly i know from the very first one of the very first scenes where um where the, the main character camera daniel kalia is in bed with allison williams and he asks her if his parents if her parents know that he's black and she says oh is you know is that something they should know you just you already see all the tension that's going to be in this movie that it's just going to even if it was just a movie about a black guy going to meet his white girlfriend's parents for the first time and they don't know that she that he's black you know there's already so much there and obviously the movie just goes in even more crazy and brilliant directions from there there's just every scene in this movie is just so perfectly conceived it's just a, such a complete finished product it's just it's amazing that he was able to make such a stunning movie all right i have a question for you Av. have you seen citizen king i have not okay so so that's a i'm disappointed and surprised uh, Akiva obviously hasn't seen Citizen Kane, so it was made before 1995. I've seen, I've seen Citizen Kane. Oh, you have? Uh, it's, well, like, I've seen the Citizen Kane of television, which is Saved by the Bell. Okay, you're annoying. Okay, so Citizen Kane is, is, is universally considered the greatest film of all time. And the incredible part of Citizen Kane is that it was written, produced, directed, completely everything was done, basically solo, by Orson Welles, who at the time was... I want to Google this, I'm accurate. At the time, he was... 26 years old, I think. Uh, and it's kind of insane that this guy, his first ever movie, is considered like the greatest movie of all time. The only person in the history of cinema who I think can even be in the same sentence as Orson Welles already is Jordan Peele. For this to be his first movie, it just blows my mind. Um, obviously, Orson Welles never lived up to that, but you know, you it's impossible to live up to the hype of the greatest movie of all time. Didn't uh, you always think, I wasn't like a huge Key and Peele stand, but I liked it. Wasn't your impression... That Key was sort of like the 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 superstar more than Peel. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. And now we see how wrong we were. Right, no, like nothing I, against. Like I remember thinking like, "Wow, Chelsea Peretti, like she married like the like the 
the the I don't know like the yeah now she's chilling at she's chilling <laughs> yeah. at the Oscars who saw that one coming first row of the Oscars yeah yeah crazy yeah I also really liked how like smart the black characters in this movie are for characters in a horror movie like in that first scene where the guy's just walking the street in every other horror movie ever he'll be like oh there's a car let's go see what's going on with that car and he's immediately like oh no not tonight and just like runs the other way obviously he still gets caught it doesn't really help him but he just has a an awareness and the similar thing when Daniel Kaluuya at the end of the movie he don't, he's not interested in confronting the characters and you know why did you do this he just starts killing them and it's just great yeah, well, but not enough. And, and by the way, and that's also realistic how he also, even though he's figured it out, he hasn't figured all of it out. So, for example, he picks up Georgina, Georgina because he sees her as his mom, even though he knows or, or, you know, part of him knows, well, this is actually, you know, the white woman and this is a terrible idea. I'm at a loss for words. I just thought this movie was so brilliant. And, um, yeah, please go see it once. Go see it twice. And then, uh, oh boy. And then go see it a third time. Okay. So, all right. Can I make an <laughs> announcement? Congratulations yeah. to Get Out on winning Av's uh, movie of the year. Chester, you're going to post Av's movie ranking somewhere, right? I will tweet out my... Uh, I have all my top tens on a Word document since 1993, so I'll tweet that out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm canceling a segment, Chester. Uh, I know tears are going to start running down your face, but I think we ha- we were worried we wouldn't have enough content, but it seems like we have too much content. We may have two podcasts coming in the next week, um, so I'm going to cancel... The at least for now, post let's say indefinitely suspend the best television episode contest because <laughs> Chester's not into it, and I realize I'm too lazy to watch a different episode every week. So okay, if there's an absolute outcry, we can reconsider. But we were supposed to watch some episode today, right? Scrubs. I think we made our guest watch it. Uh, you watched the Scrubs episode, right? I love watching the Scrubs. No problem. You can you yeah, can assign me like, yeah, episodes like to watch whenever him. you want. Listen, I watched every episode of Scrubs. Like, I was, I've, I was a Scrubs completist. I really like Scrubs, but um, I don't know why we'd be discussing it at the end of this movie. Okay, but I'm just, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're suspending that, uh, you know, until further notice. Although, did you, did you see that Zach Braff is going to be in this new series that's adapted from the startup podcast? Yeah, yeah Alex, Alex Inc. or something? Yeah. You, it would be very, like, I'm not saying you couldn't pay me to watch it, but you'd have to start really high. Oh, it'll be very bad, I'm sure. Oh, it's going to be like, first of all, it's a network sitcom about like a podcast. I would watch like a maybe a drama on like HBO. I feel like they could turn that into a good show. But like like some CBS or a, I think it's ABC. Like Yeah, because they, they, they kept showing ads for it during the Oscars last night. They did have a good joke, though, with the janitor. I thought that was Yeah, that was pretty good. All right, maybe it's great. Maybe it's our new favorite show. Unlikely. This is going to become an Alex Inc. podcast. That's all it's going to be about. Yeah, hopefully we got something cool planned. Hopefully it will come to fruition in the next week. We also next week have um, our March Madness preview. If you want a March Madness preview from two guys who just started watching college basketball this week, uh, come back to 32 Fans. I, by the way, I'm all in on conference tournaments always. I'm, I'm like a big conference tournament guy. But I've been watching, like, on ESPN3, you can watch all the, like, the quarterfinals, like the MIAC quarterfinals. I'll watch any conference tournament game. I have a list of like who's never before. Why would you watch before the finals of a conference for which only you one? You want to get invested, so when they get to the finals, you're 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 in it. I want to get invested. I got the whole list. I think it's from SB Nation, but I I copied a couple of years ago, which is the never made the tournament club, and then I root for the teams that have never been in the NCAA tournament before. You got a lot of you got a lot of like not teams that have never been in before so far. Lipscomb almost blew a thirty-one point lead to Dunk City. Last night, and they they made their first twenty. Uh, Samford Radford, you haven't seen Radford in a while. Loyola of Chicago, Loyola of Illinois. A um, lot of a lot of new faces this year. I'm excited about that. My beloved UConn Huskies are abominable and can't even qualify for one of those fake tournaments. And 
there's some rumblings that they're like very involved in this FBI stuff. So it might be the end of a very nice run, but you know, the end of a nice 30 year, uh, the Yukon and the Spurs might be dying at the same after having like two great basketball teams since 1990. They might both be dying on my watch in like the same month. Yeah, bad times for the Spurs. That's true. Yeah, I what, mean, listen, they could, Kawhi could come back next week, be great, and then all is good again. I, I think his agents are clowns. I'm not. I'm not so sure. Yeah, um, an, anything else? Uh, Av, we have. You know, we're not going to speak to you again necessarily until the Jets preview when we're previewing. Uh, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick led Jets. <laughs> I assume he's going to be the can quarterback we, Can again. we talk Jets for a couple of minutes? Yeah, let's talk Jets for a minute. I want to I hear what your, uh, what, what your game plan would be for the offseason. Well, I was just talking uh, – I never uh, talk to people while I podcast, but in theory, if I was talking to someone, like I was talking to our friend Harold, and he said, what do you think about uh, if we signed Kirk Cousins, which I think Chester's team will probably end up signing Kirk Cousins, but let's say we beat them and he just goes for the money because uh, we, we have more more cap room than they do. If we signed Kirk Cousins, would you draft Saquon Barkley at six? And I said I would never draft a running back at six, no matter who it was. Even if it was like reincarnation of Barry Sanders, or at least the possibility of reincarnation of Barry Sanders, I wouldn't do it because there's just no value. You know, we need so many linemen. We need we need a shutdown corner. There's no way I would I would I would pick a running back at six. Um, and then he said, "What about uh, if you had to choose between Saquon Barkley and Josh Allen?" I said, "Oh, I would I would I'd move up to one and pick Saquon Barkley to avoid." Picking uh, Josh Allen, yeah. who to me is a franchise. We player. all know where this is going. It's going to be Josh Allen, and it's it's going to be a disaster. Oh well, the funniest thing would be what if the Browns pick Allen at one and Barkley at four? That would be oh, so here my my thing is here, and Barkley might be great by the way, but it's still running so back here's, and forth. What's your what's here, your well? Here's what first of all here's what I want the Browns to do, which would be the most Browns thing ever, but also kind of secretly brilliant in my opinion, is that I want them mm-hmm. to take a quarterback at one and then take another quarterback at another four. Quarterback. It would be amazing, and then just <laughs> I and then turn it. it into like a competition and like let them switch off games. The agents will will burn oh, down. It would, it would the be the greatest the thing ever, will. and everyone would just laugh at them. But I think there's actually something to it. Well, I, what I think they're gonna do is get McC- McCarron because he just said today that he or. So a report said today that he really likes AJ McCarron. So I think they draft a quarterback and then they sign McCarron. But then maybe they're like, "Oh, we could draft a project." Says McCarron's our 2018 starter, and then they draft Josh Allen. Every you know, every team that takes a quarterback we don't want or doesn't take a quarterback gets us closer to maybe getting Rosen or Darnold. So or yeah. you know, or Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't think Manzo Rosen or Darnold is going to fall unless they they have to trade up to get them. Well, listen, we might be able to trade up to four right. and get one of them. I don't know. Haven't you seen what reporters been saying about Rosen? He cares about the environment, and uh, he doesn't support Trump, and so those are yeah. negatives. No, yeah, yeah. Listen, I want a guy who's, who's Al- Albert Breer cannot stand those those, uh, those parts, those issues on the quarterback. So, oh boy, yeah. Uh, listen, it's not going to be. What about what about the Mets? Of um, are you optimistic about the Mets? Not really. I mean, listen, it it all comes down to whether the pitchers can stay healthy. If they can, then what's your what's your ideal opening day uh, rotation? Well, the first five games rotation. Uh, DeGrom, Syndergaard, um, hopefully Wheeler could be in there. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Harvey has been horrible the last two years. Well, what about Vargas? He's going to, I don't, you I'd might rather be not have him in the rotation until we need to. Oh, they just gave him a million, zillion dollars. Like, he's no, in the they rotation. Didn't give him, they didn't give him the that much. starter. If Vargas got, didn't Vargas get like 10 million a year? I don't know if it's that high, but that's not even so high anymore these days. No, first of all, DeGrom's not starting opening day because he's not ready. Like, maybe he could start the third or fourth game if they're lucky. But I think it's uh, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Vargas, uh, Harvey, or maybe Harvey, Vargas. And then I, I, I my my fifth starter that I like is Seth Lugo. To me, he he was in the, last year, he was in the WBC. He pitched like eight games in WBC, and his arm basically fell off in March. 
Um, but if you look, even last year, he was one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball. Two years ago, he was very quietly excellent, and I think he is a really good fifth starter. Matz is, is a write-off. I mean, he, you know, you could try him out of the bullpen because he's a lefty, and, and you have him for a couple more years. You don't literally have to write him off, but he's, uh, to me, he's, he's yeah, a he mess, did. and Wheeler literally cannot throw strikes. So I think... I think you go Lugo, and I'd even put Gazelman over over yeah, those guys. Maybe honestly. I don't know. It's over it's, over. Matt. Listen, if if Degrom and Syndergaard stay healthy and they could get, yeah, if they pitch sixty games, like we can only and, be so bad. Like we're the yeah, type of team that like, you go up, you're you like, like, oh, one shoot, one more of those Mets. guys to stay healthy and be good, and then you could be a team. But if mm-hmm. that doesn't happen, forget about it. They're just not. They're not going to be good enough. Yeah, if they have moderate health, they should be in the wild card. Yeah, race. And listen, that's all you can hope for for such a pathetic franchise. You know, if they're in the wild card race, I'll be happy. Yeah, with no, that. they're not good, but. Yeah. Uh, Chester, we could do, we'll do Mets and Twins previews closer to the baseball season. Yeah, I mean, are we going to discuss some of our listeners uh, sent us? The, our listener who deserves the biggest shout out actually is Bob uh, Phelan. Bob Phelan, who uh, blew Av out of the water. He sent us a ranking of 103. Oh, big movie guys. 103 movies. movies. What was his worst movie out of 103? Very nice. Very his nice. worst movie was Fifty Shades Darker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why did he see it? I don't know. He also saw the Emoji movie. He saw the Smurfs, oh, he must the have Lost gotten, Village. I mean, like, I don't want to. I don't want to like pony, speculate. Bad I don't know Bob Christmas. Christmas. Like, so well, but like, stats. his wife must have had so much dirt on him to take him to that movie. Like, there's like, she must have caught him. Like, I, I don't know. I, like, I can't even imagine what he would have been caught doing to have to be dragged. Yeah, or to that he's movie. just run. He's unless he yeah, just well, sees yeah, he's just movie. running up the score. Well, he said, um, you know, I have to stop seeing every animated movie that comes out. Kids be damned. Yeah, but you don't need to see. You can like take your kids and then and then drop them off at the theater. Come back later. You don't need to be seeing all these. Well, who can? I can't I can. do that. No, Bob, Bob Phelan. Well, how how oh, old are his kids? kids? Um, the uh, uh, what else? What 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 are some other interesting rankings he has? Oh, Bob in particular. Yeah, or anybody else. What, what was his number one? Rankings? Uh, his number one was Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which yeah, was a lot, a lot of people really loved it. I didn't get the chance to see it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, yeah. the Vargas contract was two sixteen, so he's starting off. That's not a that's not a you know backup money. Uh, what were some number ones, Chester? Uh, we've discussed all the other number ones. Uh, Logan was a number one for some people. Uh, like Nickish, I think. Uh, Dunkirk was a number one for some people. Uh, who are mm-hmm. obviously very wrong. Um, Zach, that's what Logan. I think I mentioned that earlier. Uh, well, I think AB Suns had Dunkirk one. Jim Crumley had Dunkirk one. So that was either a love or hate it, I guess. I got a bunch of lists, but I don't. I wouldn't even know where they are now. I'd have to. Look. <laughs> Search my email by get out or something. Yeah, listeners, this is why you should send things to me and not uh, Akiva. Akiva well, just see both of us. Sometimes I keep them and, and sometimes I sort of forget about it. I don't know. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, that was the uh, movies of 2017. And, uh, yeah. It's already now. like March. What is it? March 5th today or something? Like, yeah. I, I, this, I love that December where I just watch every single movie. So we're only nine months away from getting right back into movie season. I don't watch it. I basically watch zero movies from from now till December. Like, the only movie I saw was Big Sick, I think, until, like, November, and I ended up seeing, like, 50 movies. Yeah, my, my resolution for this year is to... I, I have a list of movies from previous years that I just never got to see that I'd like to see. And oh, I want, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, You know game. my take. Uh, do you know my take? Um, I know some of your takes, but probably not this one. <laughs> no, my, but my take on this very topic, I don't see old movies anymore. Because I only watch movies for the movie ranking at the end of the year, so now I will not watch an old movie... Uh, maybe I would watch a movie I've seen before. Like I love, like you know, if if someone if I walk into the room and someone was watching like The Big Lebowski or There Will Be Blood, I would sit down and watch it. But I will never watch a new old movie because what am I going to do? Call an emergency episode of the podcast and like put it in my rankings? So you only, only do I'm things only, in life for the podcast. I only do this for the listeners. Everything I do is for is for the fans, man. 
Yeah, I mean, your takes are so bad on so many things. This just proves it. You haven't seen no, all these important... No, this is the important... best take I've ever had. No, you haven't seen so many important movies, and now you're saying you're not going to see them? I will. I mean, I, unless if we do a podcast about old movies, then I would have to go see them. Like, if you wanted to do a Citizen Kane podcast, you'd probably have to, like, we'd probably have to get it sponsored. Like, I'm not just watching it just to watch it, but I would consider it. David, do you identify as more of a podcaster or uh, whatever your real job is? I thought you were going to say a father. <laughs> I don't identify as uh, listen. We're, we're this is a post-title society. I don't. I don't like. I identify as a, as a human and barely, according to some <laughs> yeah <laughs> parents. But this was a pleasure. Av, right. uh, we'll talk to you uh, perhaps uh, when the Jets uh, get ready to. Uh, well, you got, you guys should do uh, an NFL season. draft episode. Oh, we always do an NFL draft episode. That's just they they move the draft like yeah. What's the deal with that? How come every other sport the like there's like a four day break and the football it's like months till the off season starts? What's the deal? It is weird. I I I think my grandfather said Joe uh, when when he got jet season tickets to when they saw when they drafted Joe Namath that the draft was like before the playoffs. The draft was like in nineteen December of uh, 68 and not. Not even like January 69. Well, there so. might have been a race between the AF and the NFL sort of at that That's time. a good point. Right. Yeah, that was probably like, now I just feel like I'm just being strung along for weeks into thinking that we might get Kirk Cousins. And... Right. The, the NBA draft sometimes is like two days after the after yeah, Game 7 of the finals. So... Yeah, and then they go from the draft. And, the, and also it's weird to have free agency for months before the draft. Yeah, it is weird to have free agency for months before the draft. Right. The NBA, they would never have free agency before the draft. Yeah, NFL, get your yeah, I'm sure there. they know what they're doing. I'm sure they make billions of dollars. They could move free agency later, but then everyone would sign. These are the only the only problem the NFL has is, is when they do the draft. So, I do <laughs> think I do think what's his name? Shaq Griffin? Yeah, the the guy who broke the yeah, uh, with the, one hand the, the forty time. Yeah, I do I do think like that, like if Goodell has any uh smarts, like if he has any Seichel, which I, we we all know he does not um, like they would literally just make him the face of the league now. You know what I mean? Just like bring him to New York and have him do like all the media rounds already because it's a starless league and there's, you know, five famous players left in the NFL and literally the trajectory couldn't be worse. And I feel like make make that guy that literally the face of the league and, you know, and see what happens. Yeah, but you were just complaining time. to me before we, we got on the air that, uh, you know, how much you hate disabled people and that he shouldn't even be allowed in the league. Oh, so, please. This could be somebody's first time listening. <laughs> um, oh, so they shouldn't know your true feelings? <laughs> oh, please. Uh, listen, everyone knows, like, I'm the wokest guy on this podcast. Yeah, by the way, Donald, if Donald Trump heard of him, he would definitely make fun of him. Oh, yeah, Trump's going to be like, I like my football players the old way. If, you yeah. got, if Trump did a rally in, like, Tuscaloosa, he would I sure prefer players with two hands, believe me. I like yeah. football players the old way with two hands. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it is really insane, like, what this guy's doing. Like, it's more it's more impressive than Jim Abbott. Yeah, no, Jim Abbott stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Do, by the way, you know what my dad used to – because uh, people who know me, like, I'm not a very coordinated person in a lot of ways. Like, I needed, like, probably Shocking. occupational therapy growing up. That's Shocking probably why, like, I married one. But, like, one of the things I was really bad at was buttoning my uh, – my the the arm of my shirt like the 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 arm level of my sh of my shirt buttons like on a long sleeve shirt by my wrist you know what i'm talking about i couldn't do it and my dad would say like i like he, my dad used to say like that's the one thing that jim abbott can't do and like uh, that's like one of fifty thousand things that you can't do dummy so listen that, like there's a reason why i am the way i am <laughs> well, maybe you right. could do that and it was like jim abbott can do it and you can't i don't remember what, what the uh, i'm sure the he shade can do it. yeah uh, i'm sure you can do it yeah. All right. Uh, before we offend anybody else, let's end this podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you all for coming. We'll be back next week with a, a new ranking. Not a Bye. Mm -hmm.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.